for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Craig Patty Patterson of Mad Lab in Vancouver is one of the OGs of CrossFit. He's watched the trend of fitness ebb and flow from authentic to replicable. But what makes Patty unique is his ability to weather the trends and create an environment that has real longevity. If you're a business owner living from Groupon promo to Groupon promo, according to Patty, you're missing the bigger picture and your numbers probably reflect that. Also, please take a minute to appreciate how difficult it is to say Groupon promo twice in a row. The number of takes that it took me is embarrassing. Sound words from a sage gym entrepreneur today. Find out what Patty has to offer your business. Here it is, episode 245. Gotta make this run on time. A little white pill for them little white lines. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? Why are you laughing, Tex? Uh, is this my timing off? No, Whoa, Luke's ability to just turn it on. I'm just jealous. I n- this is not. Well, that's turning not it really on. turning this it on. That's just putting uh, the a, emotional, <laughs> like emotional breaks in his deal. It's not as if he went in there and was I'm just fluid and easy. He's, the cornucopia is pulling out the happy pumpkin. No, no, no. no. Uh, I a, like to refer to Luke Summers as a cornucopia of emotion. I'm more of a lazy Susan because it's spinning. It's always spinning, and you never know what you're gonna fucking pull off. So kind of like uh, you know, 2 a.m. You're hammered. You go into 7-Eleven. You just see those hot dogs going around that's, and around you're that's, the, that's who you are i'd say i'm more of a taquito because you don't know what's on the inside exactly <laughs> and it's been there <laughs> well, for a while well i don't know hot dogs are made of lips and assholes uh, yeah and yeah. yeah that works for you well you have a lot in common yeah it's mm. good Ooh, look at that <laughs> speaking of in common uh you know i wanted to throw it out there that if there's any single ladies listening to this oh, podcast no 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 text chris mcquilkin is no. looking for a date for luke summer's wedding so if you know any single oh. good looking dif- disease free ladies that want to get <laughs> oh get crazy and party uh you know reach Listen, out ladies. send an email to info at power send it to Kelly. No, no, L-I. I want to read these. Send, you know, CC Cali on there as well. But I, uh, you know, we're trolling for a uh, worthwhile date for good old Chris McQuilkin. And most people would ask for headshots, but ladies and gentlemen, what we, we are asking 40 for times. is we want forty <laughs> times, and we want pictures of your uh, your arches. All Caps. right. So this Caps. isn't a foot thing. We're just re- we want to see that you have intact arches because no flat yeah, foot. we like mega uh, high arches. You know, uh, Chris is big on a high arch, uh, nice uh, vertical foot position, and fairly high calf. Yeah, we want high. Calf uh, is high calf. We don't want real low calf insertions because, no. uh, you know, those are equal to slow. We want a lot of speed. Yeah. So Chris is looking, you know, he's he's reached the point in his life where, you know, potentially he might want to, uh, you know, check the uh, the calf pliability of a young female. So so if you're a lady and you're anywhere between five foot four and six foot nine. Personally, I think techs should only date women over six feet tall. I agree. You know, to breed it's a little screenplay. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, he's a uh, strapping five foot something, but he needs a Boot six height. foot something. Uh, boot height five nine and a half, but then my bone sen- bone density is in the ninety six percentile of the world. So, well, you know what? That's really what you got to throw out when you meet a nice girl. You know, have I told you about my bone density? I think we've beat this dead horse, Luke. Are there any other announcements? <laughs> yes, yes. Not only is this episode, brought yes, to you yes. By, Brent told him. <laughs> you told Brent. Brent told Realty. me. Uh, not only is this episode brought to you by dating Chris McQuilkin, it is brought uh, to you. Oh, oh, <laughs> it's dating by Match dot com at powerathletehq.com. Uh, sorry about that, folks. But what is really on the fucking radar this today as you are listening to this if you were one of those first day listeners is february 9th and we are approximately one week just over one week into enrollment of the fourth fourth semester of the power athlete methodology level one course people so if you want to get down and you want to get sassy and you want to sharpen your coach's blade you know what to do you got to sign up for that bad boy here's how it works out okay 
We open up enrollment for 30 days. That sucker's going to fill out. If you're one of those people in the past, you're like, when does this thing open? I didn't even know it did. Shame on you, okay? You're going to go to pahq.co slash lowercase p, lowercase a, dash academy. It's going to be right there, front and center, semester four. Click in, read about it. What do you have? How many lessons do we have, McQuoken? We have nine sections of 44 lessons. Five plus five, hours of video. Yeah, five plus hours Riveting of video. video. Workbook, Workbook for you to hold on to and put on your bookshelf for life. And you also enter the community of Power Athlete and can consider those guys in your class, your group, to be your classmates and forever lifelong allies in the fight against... Mediocrity. Mediocrity. And in the world of strength and conditioning, your best asset is your network. Bingo. 100%. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we see it unfolding, you know. That's kind of why we're reaching out to this network to find Chris a date. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so as we're going through this thing, trying to find a network of young females for Mr. Chris. So the whole methodology course is just to play for a date for my wedding? <laughs> it's called a long con. <laughs> oh, God. It's not really that long. All right. All right. We're Ladies, really, we're not really. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I got the face palm eye rub thing going. You are not listening to a dating show. You are not listening to, to a bunch of commercials or coming attractions you are listening to the premier podcast in, in strength, strength and conditioning, conditioning. Ing. Ing. so it's not just us jabbing about penguins jabbing about dating jabbing about all this other stuff uh we have craig patterson aka patty who is the owner of mad labs uh, which we're going to dig into what the heck mad labs is we had an awesome pre-show little convo um but patty without further ado man i used to go through and try to give people's uh story i wasn't as good as the man on the other side of the screen here so patty what's up man introduce our listeners to who you are how you got here your your experience i think you're a fellow guy like me corporate guy kicked the you know kicked that show off and then ditched it for fitness coaching and you know empowering performance I don't know how the fuck I ever did that or why I did it. <laughs> Your wife's still pissed at you. Here we are. My parents are pissed because they <laughs> small town. They were broke. We got through uh, McGill Engineering t- together, and uh, my dad, uh, you know, I gave him the gave him the uh, degree. He's like, okay, you're free to do whatever you want now, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then all hell broke loose, as I'd say. But uh, I, I personally, I like small feet, and if they're flat or too gnarly, I couldn't do it. I just could not date a girl <laughs> with big feet or gnarly. And, uh, yeah, I told my wife that my now wife on our first, uh, actually the first five minutes of meeting her, I had to have a look inspect her feet. <laughs> <laughs> let's see those fucking feet. Let's so go. I'm not uh, the only one. You're like, kick those shoes off. Let's see those fucking hor- those hooves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. They're great. Um, so yeah, so there was a, there was an opportunity there once that happened. Um, yeah, where would you like me to start? Like, where do you want to go with this thing? Uh, you know what? Let's start at the beginning. I mean, I know you were one of the original guys in the, uh, uh, you know, in, in the community. And, uh, you know, I think I met you via Rob Wolf, uh, geez, you know, 2008. So, um, I think, uh, you know, just kind of giving kind of, uh, you, you know, how, yeah. I mean, just, just give us a backstory and then we'll, sure. you know, ramp it up to here and kind yeah. of get into a little bit about Mad Labs. I guess it's okay if we say CrossFit once. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If we have to, oh, I feel so dirty. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a small fishing village in Canada, Gaspé, Quebec. Uh, been around for like 300 years. It was one of the first actual towns in 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 the New World. Uh, long story there, but anyway, it was a very small town and it was quite poor, and people had to take care of each other. So it was a, a lot of community. So I just grew up with my mom. You know, anybody died, it was just it was just community, right? And they all they really took care of each other. It's just how I grew up. 
tell how it was there, still how it still is there. They're still back home. Um, I like I said, I graduated from McGill Engineering, the Harvard of Canada. Nice. And um, you know, I, I just jumped in a car and headed west. Uh, I actually failed my last course and had to go do a makeup. <laughs> so that was that was a you know, stressful thing. But anyway, I ended up uh, working in the U.S. for a few years and worked for two Fortune 100 companies. Worked my way through that thing until I was like a, a regional manager of you know Western Canada and this one thing, and then you know. Um, they just sent me to Vancouver uh, at one point, and that's kind of when I got there. I was like, that's, this place is awesome. I'm never leaving. There's since been a housing crisis, and I didn't buy a house, but anyway, that's another long story. Uh, so after you know, almost a decade of uh, corporate America, um, big companies, and you know, I think we had 87,000 employees at Johnson Controls, and it was like 110 people, 100, sorry, 1,100 people in the sales division. You know, the systems they have to employ for the CEO's vision to get down to where I was was pretty impressive. And uh, you actually got a chance to talk to the CEO once a year um, if you were loud enough, which I, I could always manage to do. So it was I, I learned a lot in that thing. Uh, I left after the politics uh, and my ability, inability to play it to get to another higher level. It seemed like uh, you had to suck a bigger and bigger uh, cock to get yeah, further. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> Patty, you are fucking... Bigger. We, I'm in your footsteps, man. That's the same fucking route that I was in. It's just God, bullshit. You pull the record. I heard the military is quite a bit like that, too. Got earlier and smellier the further you went up the chain, but it was just one that was too ugly and smelly, and I couldn't do it. And, uh, yeah, they, they dispatched me finally. I was, like, one week away from a $300,000 um, bonus check, and they managed to get rid of me before I got that. So I learned a lot of lessons there, but I learned finance and I learned uh, the highest level of talking to CEOs and, and what that game was, which was really cool. Training those companies gave where it's like, fuck, I got two MBAs in that thing. So anyway, I started a small engineer. I worked for a small engineering firm for a, for a year. I figured out that game, started my own engineering firm, almost went bankrupt there. I went 18 months without a single sale. And then like $3 million of the business rolled in. Um, at about the 20 month mark, which I was down to nothing. And all my life savings were gone. Uh, my unemployment insurance was gone. $30,000 line of credit was down to 700 bucks. And uh, bang, all that money came in. Uh, I was partnered with a bigger firm and they had money and I didn't, I had a great contract, but I couldn't defend myself. So I went through about six months of litigation until I was completely fucking broke. And I looked at my parents and said, I can't drag them through this too. I settled cheap. Um, like the dude made like seven million bucks and uh, I got a fraction of that, but uh, I didn't have to work right away. So it took six months off and golfed and just bullshitted. Then that, then I ran into, ran into CrossFit and Greg Glassman in 2004, summer of 2004. Uh, my girlfriend broke up with me. Uh, my company was now dead. Um, I was living in a party house. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I was like 31 years old or 32 or something like that. And uh, yeah, Greg and I hit it off and became like best friends and sat around and talked to him all the time. And it was the early days, like uh, John, he was just still in his garage and, you know, he was person. he was a personal trainer, right? And uh, CrossFit was nothing at the time. I, I was the fifth affiliate. They made all their money. Their whole plan was to make it to the journal. They hadn't figured out they could make money with level one certs and affiliate programs or I had a 25 mile radius of protection on my first agreement, you know? So that was, uh, that's how I got into it. And um, you know, from the very start, I saw it as a way to professionalize the coach. I just, I saw Greg having done this his whole life and what it took for him. He, he was a great personal trainer and he was a great dude uh, back then. A lot, a lot of things have happened. You know, who knows how anybody would handle it with that uh, kind of money and success and stuff flying everywhere. Like 
you, you don't really know. So, you know, I've, I've, we've gone down a path where we, you know, had to separate ways and, and I, I'll forgive them for that. Mostly, <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, long story short, we always did things differently. Like um, we just, I didn't have any brand. I didn't have a website and even have a sign. And I was personally training people and I didn't know fuck all. And I'd call Greg up and he would tell me whatever had to happen like once or twice a week. And then I'd go down and see them like once every month or six weeks. And that's how we started. And back then it was like, dude, you got to do a lot of personal training and you got to make those connections and you got to really train people. And then maybe you can put them together. So it's kind of like uh, I got a full, he, what he was doing is I had a full eight hours. And so I put Tim and Susie together and Jim and Jack and fucking Bill in a row. And now I got four hours and I'm making more money. Right. So that was really how the, the whole group thing started. And, you know, uh, I went to that. And then, you know, in 2006, well, I opened my gym in 2005. And then in 2006, the, the narrative changed. They shut down the gym in Santa Cruz. And, you know, then uh, at some point, I think it was the biz came in like 2008 or nine. And, and at that point, like Greg knew the business model wasn't really working for gyms, but you know, the, the, the biz was in there and they were trying to show that they could have had results and all this stuff. And, and, you know, we did this mastermind for like a year and we had the top affiliates in the world in 2007. There was like, I don't know there was maybe a few hundred. And the first call was 50 the second call, you had to show your numbers. You get in the group and then you talk once a month about best practices. So it was the best practice. It was the first best practices thing. I was late 2006, early 2007. It was really interesting because once people had to show their numbers, it dropped off fast. It dropped from 50 to 15 to five within three months. And it was incredible how little, like nobody was making more than $5,000 a month. No shit. And I was already at like $50,000 a month doing what we were doing. Right. And then it boiled down to like, I think it was Eric LeClaire was on there. There's another guy from the East Coast that was trying to sell business services and he got kicked out. The Heart Exercise Works guys. And then uh, there was like John Birch and Andy Petranik. Andy's a good friend of mine. And we sat around and talked on this thing for a year. And my numbers dwarfed everybody's numbers, but like nobody listened to me. I was like, you got to do a lot of personal training. And the coach compensation can't be by the hour. And then you got to do like group and, and you know, you got to actually really train people. And the other guys were like, fuck it. We just put them straight into a group class and we'll trap them into a year long, pro, you know, contract and gold, silver, and bronze was once a week, twice a week or three times a week. And it was like, I was like, this is insane. The churn rate in this is going to be astronomical. And then, uh, you know, as it, as it turned out, um, 2009, when I, I gave a, a talk, 2008, John, I don't know if you were at the Phil Fest that year. Awesome. Yeah. I gave a talk and then a whole year later, Greg put it up, uh, put it up on uh, that uh, website and I went crazy. You know what I mean? I went crazy. I had a call from a couple hundred people and I had no infrastructure to teach anybody what we're doing. Like I had nothing. Right. <laughs> that was like, but the story I love to tell is like, I'd be on the phone with these guys. I'd say, just send me 500 bucks so I can free up some time for you. And I was trying to explain this thing on the phone and I was doing that all day. And then I was going and training at the gym and, and taking care of all my coaches and all of this stuff. And my girlfriend at the time was like, dude, why don't you just get her voice recorder? I hear you saying the same thing all fucking day. Just put it in the voice recorder, put the voice recorder to the phone so you can go to the bathroom and take a piss. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> there you go. That, that was my first infrastructure. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, 2009, the city came down to me and I had to turn the whole thing into a school. I went underground for two years. I came out in 2011 and boom, it was like an explosion. And everybody was throwing everybody straight into group class. And that was the model. You know what I mean? Like it just, how CrossFit lost control of it, how, you know, 
they were making so much money and, and you know, all the, the level one, the level two and everything was done in a group so they could make more. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if it was, it was money, the chasing factor. It was just like trying to serve everybody. Like who knows, who cares? It's done. And the whole, the whole community became this group class. Right. And then, you know, when leads dried up about 2013, because that churns 70 to 80% a year, I don't give a fuck when anybody does it churns the same thing in Pilates and yoga. And like, I've studied thousands of these things and with Zen planner and with other CRMs. And you really, I really know the numbers and it churns 70 to 80% a year. Like in, in some industries turns more than that and, and others less. And it, it depends upon their dollars per square footage. Like at yoga, you charge about $110 a month and you use five times less square footage as we do. Right. The average CrossFit gym is 135 bucks a month. So just do that math real simple on a group class and you can figure out why the churn rate's even higher. Um, anyway, long story short, all the leads dry up. They churn through so many people in a neighborhood. They got to go to Groupon. So everybody goes to Groupon. I remember the games in 2014 talking to these guys. And I was like, what's your intake process? What's your fundamentals training? And it's like um, three sessions for 69 bucks through Groupon. I'm like, Holy mackerel. Right. And you just know that's going to churn even more. So as the, as the, as the whole fundamentals program for training anybody just got lessened and lessened and lessened cheapened right out uh, the churn rate just goes to the roof the coach's churn rate was about two and a half years in 2011 12 13 and came down to what 18 months now it's like no one even wants to join you know it's kind of crazy but you know the next step of the challenges 2016 you know they needed leads they got all these people and they, there's no leads coming in through the crossfit website anymore you know they're very little i mean most of the guys most of our guys or a lot of our guys are branded there and there's we've got out of the brand long ago but they can't get a lead so what do you do right you could do a challenge and you get 100 people or 60 or 80 and then you churn through all them and then the next round you run three weeks three months later you, there's 40 or 50 you churn through all them and then you run the third one it's 20 people and then you run the fourth one there's nothing then you're done <laughs> until the new one now they got another one which is you know you give a sixteen thousand dollars up front you run the challenge. They got they're better at marketing and all this stuff, and then uh, you know all that money goes back to them, and then they trap you into a three-year contract, promising you that they can take coaches that are getting paid fifteen dollars an hour or twenty dollars an hour to run a challenge, and now you can turn them into high-end personal trainers. Which even if they got the high-end personal trainers, they're caught in that dollar per hour thing, and they're going to quit anyway. Personal trainers all quit after two and a half years too, so now you're churning people and clients all over again. So. Anyway, that's where I'm coming from. What we do is we do coach for life. My, I got three coaches that have been with me for over 12 years. They all make over 80,000 a year or average that at least depending on the year. I got two more that, you know, you know, I got two more that have been with me over six years. Same deal. We average about $73,000 a year. And in Vancouver, you'd think that's a lot, but it's not uh, because the housing thing, my top coach makes 105. I had a 300 members last year. We turned 16. And I do about 20.7% uh, net positive cash flow. So, you know, now my challenge with Mad Lab Group is to train gyms how to do what we do. And we know there's a problem with the business model. We know there's a problem with the branding thing. We also, you know, CrossFit was a great start 15 years ago or whatever. In 2001, the original stuff was written. I think uh, the L1 cert was pretty much cemented in 2006. John's one of the smartest guys in the industry, one of the coolest guys. Like, you know, we're both friends to Rob. And uh, we, we, yeah, we were looking to, to really 
get to know you guys better and really bring your skills to our group because it's evolved past the straight up uh, functional movements and going as hard as you can every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. So and it's, I, it's I think this episode is going to be a fucking huge episode because we have a, you know, 30, 40% population that listens to this thing. That's, you know, they're gym owners. They're Mike, what we call micro gym owners. Uh, and they make they, either they're doing a side hustle and this is their main hustle, or this is their side hustle, and they got some other addition to their main hustle, right? But uh, either way, you want to fucking put some more cash in your pocket, and you want to service your customer to the best of your ability. And I think that, like you said, man, and John, like we talked before the show, like we were sold this model as the way to go. And I guess the optimist in me thinks that, on a large enough scale, it's probably the best way to influence the most amount of people. For the a sh- the, yeah, for a short period of time, but yeah. right then there, there it comes, but but it's not sustainable, right? So I think it's really interesting the route that I mean the 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 method that you've employed for for the longest time. And I've tried to talk to friends who have opened gyms sure. since since our awakening. Sure. You know what I mean? And I'm like, hey, listen, do not just b- bear with me. The most influential time you have with somebody is the first fucking three months you have them. So that needs to be a boutique experience, sure. right? Own that experience, put a value on that experience, and charge for that experience. Now nah, we're just gonna do three fucking courses, kick yeah, them no, in the I, class, and. Well, the the other thing too is everybody always wanted to create these bigger and bigger gyms, and it just kind of grew in this like you know everybody wanted like a Costco, and uh, I always felt that by far the most profitable uh, my micro gym ever was was when it was the smallest and we ran it the most efficient. It was. Uh, just under a thousand square feet we had something like you know 55 members each paying like a premium for a boutique experience everything was really like you know small classes small this everything was perfect and we crushed it then we went to uh 5,000 square feet and we upgraded to you know 100 plus 125 and this and all of a sudden you know it just as we grew and added people it all of a sudden it looked like the money just started plummeting and the churn grew and and then people would come and they would come for three months then they would go to another gym and it was just like uh, it's it's still interesting. I mean, I sold the gym obviously, and the probably I would say pretty accurately the core people from those original days are still the core people at that gym. And then it's just like this kind of floated and out. So I think that uh, people that have a good boutique experience and can almost run a smaller, more uh, intimate, high end gym, I think tend to do better more so than like you know the the Costco you know Sam's Club model. So it's funny. I added that, John, you're absolutely hundred percent on point. Um, I, when I started, I started training people one-on-one and I just had all these personal training clients. And I started putting them in small groups. I was in a personal training facility they ended up kicking me out. Cause uh, you know, I took up so much space and I was noisy. When I went into my first gym in 2005, I had to get partners. I didn't have the confidence. I had a doctor friend and I had this other guy I was in business with. And we, they were like, no, we don't want to train anybody. We're going to put them straight into classes and, and we the model that I had that worked, I had 30 clients that were paying me $200 a month. And I was seeing them once a month, you know, after I'd done like 10 or 15 one-on-one sessions with them, all the stuff is the backbone of our thing. Now, after that nine months, when we opened the gym and we did it the way everybody does it now or worse, um, we lost everybody, but those original 25, 30 people, <laughs> there you right? go, they were all fucking, everybody was gone. You know, and to add to your thing about, you know, manage about 55 people in a thousand square feet. So what we really do is replicate that with four or five coaches, right? Then you get some crazy scalability and you get a co-op. So I've got basically five coaches that hit 50 to 60 clients each and they manage them together. So it's like they all have their own 1500 square feet 
and they work together in the symbiotic thing where they can scale brand and space and you know the group class part portion of it and you know marketing all that fucking stuff right um so that's kind of this it is like you're you know you're 55 people a coach and you take care of your 55 people in a co-op atmosphere is what we basically we've created in vancouver so that the owner can can do his thing to help out those coaches so it's, it's a completely coach centric system so that the, the clients don't leave meaning they're probably getting fit at the very at the very least they like it you know what i mean and then the coaches don't go anywhere because they can make a professional wage and actually really train people and have, you know, four weeks vacation, semi-paid vacation, this kind of thing. And then the owner is not pulling his hair out all the time. Like I spent six months in California last year and I just talked to my GM once a week. And, uh, you know, it took me five years to train her as well. And she's on performance-based pay. So, like, nobody's paid for the hour. Those guys all know what they got to do to be successful. And But it took me three or four years to train each one of them to where they, they got there, right? Right. So, I mean, what we're proposing, uh, you know, is the is the hard way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. No, I mean, right. uh, you know, you're, you're talking about something that's labor intensive and kind of educationally intensive to bring in somebody and kind of groom them to not only make them, you know, personable, understand how to manage the experience, how to go in and make sure that, uh, you know, somebody is doing something correctly and that you're, you know, uh, you know I guess, uh, you know, enjoying their successes and uh, being able to like, you know, mitigate their failures and kind of bring them along and, you know, really create relationships. And I think what happened with the CrossFit thing, especially, is people didn't want the relationships. People were just fucking burned out. We're like, just throw them in a group class. I'll pay some kid 20 bucks to fucking make him do air squats and stupid shit. And, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if we have a churn, we just got to hustle on the backside. But the problem is, is that I don't think that people have enough, you know, they don't understand like the, and Luke can attest to this. I constantly had this feeling like at any moment we could hemorrhage 30 or 40 clients, which is going to be fucking awful for the bottom line. So if we're not actively working to get new people, then we're fucked. And uh, we did. We fucking hemorrhaged like 30 at one point. And thank God we had a whole bunch of new people coming in that kind of offset it. But that like constant feeling of like, I have to be getting new people because I'm going to lose all these. So I think if you can teach somebody to manage a relationship where they don't have the constant stress of fucking hemorrhaging clients, I think the job becomes a lot more fun. And I think, you know, so our churn was lower than that, you know, 80% rate. We were, I can't remember the exact numbers, Patty, but what we had on our side is, you know, the, the primary coaches who were, which were Ben, myself, and then we brought Callie in, but we had Sprague. Like, so we all worked our, our seminar gig where you had to have the, the bandwidth to give 20 to 30 people a personalized experience over two days, right? That was... Yeah, uh, through for CrossFit football. Or? No, so no, for CrossFit Cross football. football gig. So all the guys who worked at my gym in Balboa mm-hmm. were actually the CrossFit football crew all yeah. came and worked because for me, um, I looked at it like, uh, you know, one blade sharpened the other that, you know, your ability to go on the road because one, it subsidized the money. So you were actually, you know, going out on the weekends, hustling, making money. And then it was giving you a really unique experience to be able to go out and, uh, and coach. And if you can go out and do that on a weekend, I can drop you in anywhere. You can go educate, you know. Mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50 people for two days, you can come back and do it in your gym environment and you should be pretty good at it. So it was, and I'm not saying we had the best model, right? But we did pretty good at, you know, our retention was high because we, everyone got a very good experience uh, from from our, our, our lead coaches, right? And then, but still you come into scalability in a class setting and you're capping at 18 people a fucking hour and you got a coach in there 
You know, it's like you're taking up floor space, you're devaluing everything. But um, no, it was, it was pretty interesting because you'd go to other you'd go to other gyms and we would drop in on Fridays. Right. And we would watch how other gyms would coach and you'd be fucking shocked on a Friday. How the, the lack of energy and the lack of ability to give a personalized experience across a class size of fucking seven. You know what I mean? Like. And it just blew my mind. And that's where, you know, it's pretty interesting just the, the, the dynamic we had at Balboa versus uh, some of the other gyms we got to see. But I guess uh, j- shifting gears just a bit, you know, as as we evolved as a company and power athlete, we kind of we departed from really the gym ecosystem right and we focus more on the coach you yeah. know what i mean irrespective of whether you're a micro gym owner or you're fucking you know head trainer at a, a equinox or your head strength coach like we we started to focus on the coach as the individual well How, but but i mean that's really where we started i mean mm-hmm. uh, crossfit football seminar was never about the athlete yeah, it, was it, it was always yeah it was a coaches event mm-hmm. so what i was looking to do was make better coaches or teach people 100%. how to train athletes. So I think just because that, I mean, that was really always the focus of it. So it just became kind of a, uh, like a natural progression for power athlete was to go in and empower the coach with the mm-hmm. tools that he needed to influence athletes. Cause I also looked at it like, like what's my fastest way, uh, for, you know, not only market influence, but how do I make the biggest splash? Mm-hmm. Working with athletes one-to-one, the splash was small. But if I could go in and work with 50 coaches that all worked with 50 athletes, then I look at like, and then they talk to two people yeah, and they yeah. talk to two people. Ponzi scheme, John. So, yeah, exactly. So I, <laughs> I looked at it like, how do I increase my reach the fastest? Me coming in and coaching, you know, 25, 30 athletes mm-hmm. one-to-one influences those guys. If I can go out and influence these guys and they can influence people. And then that's, I think, how we really kind of got yeah. more. Momentum. Scaling. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> question for you, Patty. So in the, the olden days, we used to be train your members, right? So we want members coaching members almost to the point where our member becomes our assistant coach or a coach within our gym. But now I th- from traveling, I think it's all right, we're going to hire coaches. So when did this transition take place from kind of the organic homegrown to we're looking for outside help, experienced help? Well, I mean, the, the same, the, what I see um, is that people got, t- I mean, you, the numbers, everybody was stoked about it and it was like, change your life. And it was, I mean, it was revolutionary and it was a great, great start. And I think some of it was timeless. Um, so people got all juiced about it. And then they coached in a group class for a year and a half and they're like, fuck this. You know what I mean? This is awful. And well, eventually all the members are like, I, I want no part of that. And then they got to look outside. And, you know, we're actively involved in that. Like I'm building a Mad Lab 101 for coaches to show them the potential of a Mad Lab coach to make 80 to $100,000 a year and have a great life. It's going to take, it's not a magic bullet. It's going to take three or four or five years to get there. This is a good place to end up, you know? So, I mean, we got to go in and fight against that market because our, our members right now, and especially the ones that are still in the old branding are like, I can't find a coach. You know what I mean? I, you know, and, and there's a good reason why, because if you got to go teach, four hours of group class in a row. And today is like snatch day. And I got 15 or 20 people in front of me that are complete novices, probably below novices. Someone don't even know what the, the movement is. I mean, you're just keeping people from killing themselves. And then you yeah. do that all day. I mean, just four hours of that you want to go home, never talk to anybody again, hurting cats. Back three scotches and forget about your day. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hurting cats. That's what we used to call it. This is like hurting group cats. Class, group class of training people that are untrained, like people in our system, they have to do 18, 15, 20, some 40, you know what I mean? Personal training sessions, one-on-one with their guy. 
And we're not, the programming is not going to be, let's go uh, do Nancy or Elizabeth or whatever those things are called uh, with brand new newbies as fast and hard as we can <laughs> first day. You know what I mean? Like, so the classes are kind of an enjoyment. You got everybody that's been in there. It's got at least 20 personal training sessions under their belt that most of them have been there for years. So then you can, the group class is more like, you know, having, you know, you got an opportunity to really even train people and connect with them. Yeah. It's training camp. Killing right? themselves, right? Yeah, you have you have uh, trained individuals in a training camp who are all like minded and have a like a yeah. higher training quotient. Well, and also they have yeah. uh, the the one thing that kind of always upset me was that people had no skin in the game. Like they come in, you know, they pay their X amount of dollars, they throw it in. After you know a few months, they leave and go somewhere else. So I think if you do the personal training model, and the one thing I always appreciated about the Mad Lab stuff is like once people kind of get into this thing and they kind of have a skin in the game, they've invested some money, the coaches worked with them, they've developed a skill set. And now they get to go out and use it. And I think like once you develop that and you invest in it and invest in yourself, I think that the retention is much higher. Uh, the one thing that just kind of pissed me off was like um, nobody should feel like, why the fuck am I here? I can do this at home in, in, my, in the comfort of my uh, like, you know, living room. If we're just doing fucking, uh, you know, air squats and burpees, why the hell do I have to come and pay 150, 180 bucks to come to your place when I can just do this in my own garage? So I think. Uh, that was kind of an interesting thing, you know, especially when you go into these, you know, and this was another thing I kind of got sideways on is these people that were just going to what I called the boot camp model. They were just you know, trying to do Barry's boot camp. There was no weights. There was nothing technical. It was just, yeah. let's move for 30 minutes and get sweaty. And I'm like, at the end of the day, like once people realize they don't have to come to your gym just to get sweaty, they can go do it in a park. I think you guys are fucked. And I think people really kind of lost, uh, lost their way a little bit with trying to just go into some of this. Oh no, no, they'll come to boot camp. I'm like, I don't think so. Well, John, this is exactly where now we're getting into a good one here. So, you know, why did they go? Why did so many of these gyms go to boot camp and why did they go to these challenges? Right. Well, first of all, you know, if you're actually trying to not kill people, take the stuff out that kills people have done improperly. They're the most potent shit. They just removed it so they wouldn't get hurt. So, you know, they can sell chat like, like, dude, right now there's companies out there saying we don't need barbells all this stuff and you know what i mean like and they're throwing a challenge where they're telling they're, they're telling the client telling the, the, the gym owner who's desperate for a lead you know you can do it this way we got you you know we'll set up these boot camps run these challenges you, you'll fill your gym in two months is the kind of the guarantee right and they got they're trapped they got no choice but to do it and then the, the company says yeah well you know give us basically sixteen thousand or whatever uh, you know we'll get those that money into your gym you just give it back to us and then you sign a three-year contract and we'll teach you how to take those clients and those coaches, which is never mentioned, it's just part-time coaches getting paid by the hour is the model. And we're going to take those coaches and we're going to teach those clients how to become a high-end uh, client for you. And that's going to take three years to do it. And you're going to pay us $90,000, right? And they're trapped in that contract now and they've got no coach development to do that. And they're proposing that, you know, a part-time coach can do that. And even if they do, what are they going to take them to? The guy can only handle 20 personal training clients anyway, and he's done the most, the very most 20. I mean, he's going to burn out at 15 and then he's trapped at the dollar per hour model again, even if he gets there and we know they all leave in two and a half years. You know, we looked at just the personal training studios and, you know, I, I talked to one of the guy who owns one. He says, we tell the coaches right off the bat that you're going to be gone in two and a half years. That's what they tell them. So, I mean, even if they completely successful at the challenges and they're completely successful at taking these coaches and clients to this highest level model, they're all leaving anyway. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But just because the model's fucked. But I mean, the, the, the new, these new gyms that are desperate and they're trapped into it and they're all in, they can't get a lead. That's what they're doing now. And that's dude. That is going to be the end of the, that's the last throws of trying to get a lead with the brand. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's fucking crazy out there right now. It, it's absolutely crazy. And we've got members from our group that went there and I look at the ones that did and they're great people. And I love them. And they got sucked into a challenge a year and a half ago. And once you run one, you're done, right? You just, you're addicted to it and it's a losing game that you can never win. And you know, if I can say one thing to anybody listen here, if you go down that road of doing the, you know, bring a whole bunch of clients in at once, do a group on ramp, pay the coaches by the hour, you're addicted to marketing for the rest of your life. And you're addicted to churning clients and coaches forever. And that's the game you're going to play forever, right? The game I'm proposing is bringing guys like John in, do great training, have the coaches get personal development, sales training, enrollment training, uh, account management training, and have them be the most technical, best coaches that can actually make relationships. That game you can win because the end of it looks great. At the end of the game, when you play it, I'm playing and I'm 14 years in. Everybody that I knew from the first five years is gone. A couple of stragglers left and it's like hobby gyms and they funnel money through the church. There's all kinds of crazy shit going on there to survive, but none of them got an actual good business. None of them. 2004, nine, I don't know anybody who's got a great business still around that weren't part of our group or aren't currently part of our group. So, you know, what I'm saying is let's take it back to real training. Let's get paid what we're worth. And let's develop coaches that can stay in the industry for 30 years. I mean, I, I don't have 30 years. But I got 13. I got my my first coach is his 13th year. He just got married in New Zealand to my general manager. And she took six weeks of vacation. He took four, right? And I went over to their wedding, which was pretty cool. You know, it's you know it's not perfect. And I'm, I'm telling you, that what I'm proposing is not easy. And you still got to figure out branding, and you still got to figure out marketing. But you got to figure out how to get a high end client not a cheap scraping client, you know, it's just, I just don't, I just, I just don't think you can win that other game. I wouldn't play it. If I couldn't win the, the game that I'm proposing to play, I would just get out of the industry. So in 2004, how many gyms were there uh, in terms of the CrossFit market? When five. Like, there were five. And then by 2009, there were what, like a thousand? Yeah, about that maybe. And then it grew, you know, 2011, I think it was like seven. And I think at the height, it was what, about 13,000 is the last number I saw. Yeah, and then, and then so. what do you think that number's at today? I, don't I mean, know, man, I, I I did a calculation on it and talked to some guys in the insurance industry, and had some people go back and time clock the the um, the list, and we published some of that. And I got I just got the you know I got the trolls all over me, and everybody went nuts because you know I wrote that article saying why ninety percent of CrossFit gyms are slowly going bankrupt, and uh, it's all proven to be completely true. It's not even the, the fitness protocol so much. And, and that, you know, that's not what really did it. It was the business model of trying to fire as many people as fast as you can through pay kids by the hour to do it. I mean, that's, you know, and it just, everybody says the cream rises to the top, you know, but it, it's not really what happened. What happened was the, the cream sunk to the bottom. Well, you know as, I mean? the, as Greg the told evaporated and all dropped to the bottom because, you know, you told me a story, you know, in Orange County, yeah. relay that story of what happened in Orange County. Again. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I always go back to, uh, you know, what Greg uh, Glassman told me, he said he couldn't, uh, when he, they shut down Santa Cruz, he couldn't wait to get out of the gym business because they never made a single dollar. 
And if there was a dollar in there, he, he was funny. He's like, and if there was a few dollars in there, Brandon Gillum stole them. So like he made like, it was so funny. And he's like, man, he goes, we just, uh, you know, we had it, you know, we, we, we made money the minute that the seminars and he kind of got out of the personal training thing. It was just extremely difficult for them to make money. And I remember being like, so if this place never made money, how do you expect other people to make money? And he's like, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, I mean, so I mean, you've looked at the people that have been pretty successful. I like to think Rob and Nikki were successful and, you know, they've exited. I think uh, anybody who is fairly intelligent and like, you know, uh, like I remember Luke and I sitting there modeling it and being like, man, uh, like, I don't know how to scale this in such a way. And I'm, I mean, we talked about, you know, do we set up more and more locations? The problem comes down to now you're all of a sudden uh, diluting your coaching pool and the people that you put all this professional development and time into that you're sending off into a new location and have to start all over again. And I think my, the, by far the biggest hurdle that we've ever run into isn't the fact, and, and what's ironic is you said people can't get leads. I mean, we always had leads. I just think the hardest thing is finding quality coaches that can one, manage the experience that can control the group that can provide a good experience and one that are technically proficient enough to be able to allow people to get better and not fucking hurt them and uh you know i tell people at uh you know every seminar we teach man if you hurt your clients as a coach and when i say you know it doesn't matter if they're your athletes or whatever everybody's your client uh if you hurt them your clients don't come back and you don't get paid and you get fired so let's fucking err on the side of uh you know fucking just prudence and just say, Hey man, let's, you know, is this a smart approach? Are you ready for this? Why don't we like, you know, take the, uh, crawl, you know, uh, crawl, walk, run kind of mentality. And the problem is, is that that was the exact opposite of what most people were doing where it was like, Oh, fucking day one Murph you're in. And it's like, dude, that person's not coming back cause they can't fucking walk for a week. So did, did the, I mean, my, I guess my, then my point, I was, I was interested in the Orange County story. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Well, well, well the Orange <laughs> County, like whole cat of no, no but uh, the Orange County thing yeah. happened, uh, was uh, Justin, I can't remember Justin's life. Flynn. Justin Flynn had this uh, OC CrossFit, um, Orange Coast CrossFit, and he had a, a killer location. It was like a former spin studio that he already had like fucking uh, a conditional use permit. I mean, dude, we spent, I mean, 40 G's getting our CPU at Balboa. I mean, so he already had, he went in, he had like a prime location on the corner. He gets into it and, uh, you know, has a fucking growing gym, really good brand. All of a sudden he does his Groupon thing where it was like the Groupon era. It was uh, unlimited classes for $15 a month. And he sells like 879. It's a 90 day deal. 15. So it's 45 bucks. bucks. You get unlimited classes for three months. Yeah. So he brings it in and all of a sudden people sign up. It's like 1800 sales. Yeah. It was some astronomical amount. Uh, all those people come in and what does he do? He basically gets all of his membership and it's like, Hey, I need you to coach classes, coach classes. So they run these like massive 20 person group kind of boot camp things. And all of his members that are actually paying there now that they're coaching, uh, like get pissed off. And what do they do? Uh, yeah. they all fucking splinter off and go open their own gym. Yep. And that gym spawned like 10 different other gyms who yeah. had like one 13. singular, yeah, 13 gyms. 13 one singular fucking focus, which was to fucking end his gym because they all fucking <laughs> hated him. So then what does he do? He, uh, you know, and then, and now so was, he so sells it, was, it. Yeah, it's 13. So it was 13 gyms within 14 mile radius. And then uh, after that, he pivots his business to the OC throwdown and then kind of pulls a ripcord on his gym. After Kevin Ogar gets paralyzed. Well, that was before that. And then he fucking gets fucked on the the OC throwdown because of that deal. And then fucking pulls off. Remember, he was being he was a surf coach in Bali. 
for a while. <laughs> well, he's a high-end real estate guy now, too. I saw okay. some deal where he's wearing some, like, you know, fucking skinny yeah, suit selling fucking high-end real so estate. So moral of the story, though, is, Patty, shocker, and, like, listeners, so there's 1,800 people. Let's say 60% of those people cash in, okay? Now, there's fucking 1,000 people, whatever the math is, that come in and have a shit experience with CrossFit, oh, yeah, right? So then all of a sudden, all CrossFits are the same, yeah. and then we're, you know... Some kind of saw the light and drove past that prime location to come find us. We took in, we took, you know, it was kind of, we did have some residual growth from it because we didn't fuck it up. They did, you know what I mean? And, and some people had the wherewithal to realize that like each gym has its own unique experience. You know, the story, you know, that you put, that you push out to people. But um, after that, man, it, it was just, it was an, a very dense network of mediocre gyms and coaches who were part-timing it and fucked the brand up in the, the area just burned through already the to a, a pretty pretentious like customer base i don't know man high-end newport beach market and it so it started to like really suck the life out of us is which is where we decided we were going to open a gym with no members and since then i think we our churn's been pretty good <laughs> uh actually what we did is we opened power athlete and i rented a little location i took all my equipment uh the, the day that i took all my equipment was the day i came in and uh we had a monolift and it was all set up with all these bands and i had all this band tension all fucking measured out and i spent like two days doing this and then uh, i came in one day and all the bands were off the mono and i was like what happened to the bands I was like oh i told the people to grab some bands and they just went over there and ripped them off and i was like okay we're fucking out of here and i never went back to the gym and that was it and we sold it and then uh thank god because if we hadn't i think i didn't want to lift weights anymore mm -hmm. and it just you get to the point where like you want it more than the client and they don't see value and it's like no matter how hard you sell it to them and so i think what's pretty interesting and i used to think about this all the time is it possible to put somebody into a group class environment and pluck them out like within like a month or two once they're in it and they're kind of floundering as you see them floundering can you pump pull them out and uh convert them into private training as a way to save them yeah in terms of pivoting like pivoting yeah. your your methodology right so you're one of these guys stuck in the the group element how do you start to slowly and and i and and that was next to impossible for like you have to bring somebody in and i think you can bring them in into the pt into the personal training get them ready and launch them into class if they go into class first it's next to impossible to convert them into pt clients well yeah i i, I would say it's very difficult so one one of the things we've been trying to figure out and have figured out a good protocol for now um i think it's within 95% tolerance now uh, and we a lot of guys uh, you know come along so they you know they're running it we call it a moose cock gym Right. So <laughs> back when I grew up in Gaspé, if you were just at the end of the rope and you were exasperated, you couldn't explain something to someone, you'd just be like, go suck a big, fat, hairy fucking moose cock. And that was just like conversations over and, you know, it's what you're proposing is fucking retarded. It came out of my mouth one time, like three, four years ago and uh, moose cock. Right. So it's, it's a gym. That they don't really know what they're doing or why they're doing it. You know, it's just like they let's you know, open it. Most of them open up this way. Well, right? we got a you got that painting behind you, right? Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. That looks like a set of moose. Or that's a, a moose cock. <laughs> oh, because it's a rooster it. with a moose head. Yeah, yeah. To to paint the pictures for the li uh, listeners. I'm a little disappointed he's wearing pants. I was hoping he was just sitting there in his underwear. Well, we got a cock in overalls uh, with some moose antlers. <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. So a moose cock. A, I was thinking like a like a phallic moose penis, but I'm actually a moose cock is a chicken that has yeah <laughs> reindeer chicken. reindeer yeah it's the pg-13 and overalls and overalls yeah well he's, yeah. he's got to hide his anyway you know. i mean we've just been watching this for so long that it's like 
just baffles me that people keep, you know, keep on opening them up and think they're going to be successful. Like, you know, I'm still a CrossFit affiliate. I still, I still love what it stood for. I still love what, it, you know, what they're trying to do. You can get in business easily and there's lots of great things about it, you know, and uh, there's some problems, but at the, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, loading up as many people as you can into a group on ramp. And then you know, I don't care how much you charge for it. And I don't care how much you pay the guy by the hour doing it. It doesn't work. You know what I mean? And then throwing them into that group class. And it's like, to keep on doing that over and over is, is insane. It's just complete insanity after I've been watching it for this many years. And the data I got that, you know, there's a, there's a better way to do it. Um, and there's a way that's very congruent with what you're doing, John, and what our goals are in that lab. So I look forward to what we can figure out and partner up. And as I know you can improve uh, working with our guys, you can improve, um, the actual client experience and the coach's uh, ability to translate the uh, fitness better, faster, and longer. You the, know what I mean? Longer being, you know, we were all so con concerned about getting as fit as fast and hard as you could that uh, the longevity piece wasn't really discussed a whole lot. And we were realizing now the only people in my early days, like 2004, I didn't know my gym in 2005 to nine when I was in charge, the head programmer. I don't know shit really, to be honest with you. I just knew kind of what I was told. I mean, we burn everybody out. I burnt myself out. And the only people that stuck around from those days, and we had, we still have quite a few, we got over a hundred that have been there since 2007. You know, I think we got like 15, 20 that have been there over 10 years. So those people, those 15 or 20 were all the ones that told us like, dude, we just, we dogged it. We had to, we didn't go as hard as you told it. We pretended like we were going as hard as we could, but we intentionally dogged it. And if you listen to uh, the sprinters, there was a group of sprinters that came through, especially through Michigan, Michigan state at one time where hit training was the big thing. You know, you were going to give you the hit and you're going to, you're going to get the whole endocrine thing and then you're going to be juiced forever. It's like being on steroids. If you listen to those guys that survived that program, and there's a couple of guys, one guy in particular uh, I, uh, I knew back in the day who was like probably the fastest weight guy on earth at one point. He, he ran like a 10.1 um, when he was like 21 years old and he went there and they were 19 and he went there and they kind of ruined him. And he said, listen, uh, the only guys that did well were the guys who pretended to be sick all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, the same with like the Bulgarians. So the, the, the Bulgarians Luke were, the, Summers. you know, said the exact same thing that, you know, they're working up to a one RM. They had a way that they kind of dogged it, but I think you have to be able to kind of cycle through the intensity of it. And uh, what's pretty interesting is on our podcast, we had Chris McDougal, who's the guy that wrote the born to run book. And we started talking to him about, you know, fitness and training. And he, really put a good spin on it where he said, you know, I think, uh, you know, fitness is defined by how you, you know, your ability to be useful to accomplish a task. The idea of, you know, increased work pass or broad time mobile domains, uh, is kind of self-serving for that training style. But in terms of life, fitness has always been known as being useful. Are you fit enough to accomplish the task at hand? And if you're not, then you need to improve your fitness for that. Um, you know, and you have to be real, you know, very real. And I asked him like, what are you training for? And he was like, well, we're, I'm doing like this 50 mile run through the mountains of Mexico with like a small goat on my back. And I'm like, so do you, what do you do? He's like, well, I run with a goat on my back. We have these small goats and he showed us pictures of the goats and he and his wife go out and run with goats. Like that's actually like what his fitness is. And he's like, that's my definition for being useful. So as we went back and we started kind of establishing for the clients and the, you know, the groups we work with, like, what is your idea of useful? What do you need to use this for? And I coined the, you know, what are you training for? Which is always kind of funny to have a sales pitch with a question like that. But, um, the idea of like, what are you training for? 
what is the end goal? And then can we reverse engineer to get you into a place that, you know, allows you to execute that? Just saying I'm, you know, training for everything and trying to be a master of nothing just didn't, that never jived for me. And I never really could understand that narrative. And um, so being able to go back and, you know, unlock athletic potential. And when it really kind of came into focus for me, where uh, actually at the the Black Box uh, Summit that was out in Atlanta a couple years ago, I spoke out with Rob. I gave a talk called What is Athleticism? And as I was giving the talk, I had this, you know, eight mile kind of epiphany moment where I realized the technology that we've been working for all these years was about developing and fostering athleticism that, you know, everything has to go back into this. And uh, I remember I got done and Rob walked over and he was like, fuck, dude. He goes, um, we fucked up the CrossFit thing. He goes, fuck, if uh, we could have heard that talk in 2001, 2002, 2003, he goes, we probably wouldn't have gone down the fucking fitness route just because it was unsustainable. Once the cup got filled, we didn't know how to continue to, you know, uh, add more volume to it. And he goes, you know, the uh, athleticism continuum that we talk about being able to work on this for, you know, for an eternity to constantly be developing and refining your ability to move is, uh, was just a better narrative and just a better way to approach it. So I think we, we kind of struck some goal with that and it's been really good for us thus far. Awesome, man. I, I I do have a question guys. So John, you mentioned kind of do no harm mentality, right? A a coach should approach their training every single day with their clients with the do no harm. But now we see the pendulum kind of shifting from the Olympic weightlifting during classes or conditioning to the, the camp style that Patty was talking about now. So are they, coaching down so the do no harm with even the barbell complexes or the barbell movements to now just kind of boot camp classes is it the a, a decrease in coaching ability yeah. or people I, they, I they still so. know how to coach a deadlift i think people uh it's easier instead uh if you have a fine like a very specific amount of time to for yourself like let's say you're coaching you're doing all this stuff in terms of professional development and your ability to start executing and mastering movements one you have to train and two you have to be uh working with a group you have to be working with somebody smarter than you it's a constant evolution and development deal and constant refining so if you're not training if you're not having anybody work with you and you're kind of in your limbo where you know the only people that you train with or your understanding is watching Instagram videos, then I think you get to the point where you don't, you're not proficient at it and you start hurting people and you realize I got to default to what I can do, which is, you know, just unweighted, you know, body weight movements. And then you look at something like Barry's boot camp and you're like, well, all those people look like they're having fun. I can coach a boot camp. I probably can't coach a fucking deadlift, but I can coach somebody just to fucking do burpees. Awful. Uh, cool. and, and that's where I see people going. If I can add to that, like I come, I, it's kind of funny. You, you, it's kind of like a shark and a dolphin. The evolution has brought us to the same place. You know, look, we look pretty similar. And uh, I don't know who's the shark and who's the dolphin here, to be honest with you. But we, we, we are coming back to the same place. And I would argue it's the business model that's forced it to go down. I mean, the business model we're using was started by aerobics. <laughs> like there was, this group class business was all like 80s aerobics, maybe 70s, right? Jane Fonda, this is... So how many, how many, if you're running that big group, like how many movements can you really learn and how technical can it really be before you start hurting yourself? You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think the business model has driven it into that and the marketing people have really picked that up that we, if we don't want to hurt because hurting people is going to be the worst thing. So let's take that off the table to try and help with the retention and coach development and just made it all easier. You know what I mean? Because the marketing people just want to sell a dream. They're selling this. I can get a hundred people in your gym or I'll fill your gym in two months, right? That's it. That's all they're fucking selling. So why would I try and sell a, 
black belt jujitsu first day. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to teach you how to stand up and roll around and stand back up. That's it. That's what we're going to teach you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I think it's the marketing people in the business model that have driven it into that, John. Right. My last straw in the, I guess the, the gym bit, the micro gym business. So Kelly and I managed the gym in DC and then the owners shifted to a Groupon model for three weeks foundations. And eventually they figured three hour foundations Saturday. We want to get them in the group classes faster. And then I volunteered, I was paid, but I volunteered to coach the three hour classes because I was honestly afraid if anybody else coached it from like the, the trainers of the gym, that they would not get the best experience for the three hours and somebody's going to get hurt. And that, that was, I, I had to, I had to teach that three hours, uh, just morally to try to protect these people because I knew they were walking into a, a disaster. It's amazing. Not all heroes wear capes, Tex. Thanks, John. And you know what? Any of you single ladies that are out there that would like to meet Chris McQuilkin, just send an email to info. Picture your foot in <laughs> <laughs> the cat. <laughs> is that wrong? I told you I was going to do this. You didn't believe me, did you? Mm. You didn't believe me. Not all heroes wear capes, Chris McQuilkin. What else we got? Any other questions, Tex? Uh, just things I appreciate. I wrote down some some words, Patty, here. A coach-centric system and a way to professionalize the coach. And I appreciate that as a, as a coach. Mm-hmm. And as an organization that's, yeah. you know, we are we're focused on empowering the coach to empower the athlete, right? And it's like, it, it is the Ponzi scheme, right? But uh, it's well intended. It's in not the really a Ponzi scheme. What it is, is how do you make the biggest splash? And I think uh, to me, which, you know, like I said earlier, like the fact that we can go in and influence and give coaches a, uh, like a template of like, you know, movements and training and understanding and methodology Mm -hmm. so that they can go out and they can influence it because we're limited by how many athletes that we can, you know, proverbially touch, not in a weird, you know, Harvey Weinstein kind of way, but like we can go out and reach. And I think like, uh, what I think is, is so cool is when we travel to places or we go places and we meet people that are doing our training and are like, Oh shit. I mean, we had guys that we didn't even know were doing our training and you know, now, so we're plugged in with them and these guys are actively been doing it. I mean, we spoke with one guy today who's like, dude, I've been following you guys since 2012. Yeah. And he's like, it's been like the difference in terms of like durability and strength and like the, the fact that it's safeguarded me against so much. And so, uh, I look at it like that to me is by far way cooler than just, you know, Hey, we're here with these five dudes and we influence them. So the fact that we can push stuff out there and influence a bigger market is, is, uh, was really, you know, how I wanted to make the biggest splash possible. Fair enough. So Patty, what's the deal, man? When's Mad Lab 101 to come out? So that's a great question. Um, got a couple of different things. Mad Lab 101 is out right now for owners. So we realized we have to influence the owners first get them on board and then we're influencing the coaches and we've got thousands of coaches in our network and we got hundreds of, of uh, gym owners. But right now in our PCDP professional coach development program, which was, you know, we got registered in 2009 by the BC uh, government, Canadian government. And then we got accredited in 2015. It's a program to bring coaches from day one all the way through. So it's junior apprentice one, junior two, senior one, senior two, and then they become an associate coach. And to graduate and become an associate coach, they need to be able to gross $10,000 a month. And they usually take home around 43 to 45% of that, right? So mm-hmm. bringing you guys into that program, Mad Lab 101 for Coaches, that's coming out April 14th. Um, I don't want to let the cat rid of the bag yet, but we're looking to bring John in with our whole new way of doing our 
fundamentals program, our like first day, you know, together with our sales training people like Greg Mack, we're redesigning how their first day works at controlled experience to enroll a client into being a co your client for life. Like what we're selling is we're not selling Pilates or CrossFit or yoga or, you know, OPT or whatever. We're not selling any of that. What we're selling is I'm going to manage your health and wellness and fitness, health and fitness, maybe, I don't know, wellness, I don't know, fitness at the very least for life, right? So we need to bring, uh, we need to bring on the best technical guys, which is, uh, you know, we, you know, all the mad lab people out there listening, we're going to be doing something in Atlanta in April and, uh, you know, we're, you know, working the contract, John, to come into that with us. Um, but for you business owners out there right now, if you go on uh, madlabgroup.com or send me an, send an email to um, patty at madlabgroup.com, get a hold of me directly if you want. Um, we can hook you up with Mad Lab, uh, the Mad Lab 101, the fundamentals of gym. So I used to charge a thousand bucks for something that was worse than this two years ago, right? <laughs> we sold like, I probably sold 400 of those, you know. There was $400,000 and the marketing guys finally convinced me to give it away, but make it better. Mm-hmm. So it, it tore me apart <laughs> to do that. I'm like, I'm giving away all my intellectual property here, man. And they said, no, you need to teach them this stuff. So they understand it first, and then they get into your network, right? Which has been an overwhelming success. We've brought in more people in our network since we released that December 5th than we have in, in, in a year, right? So I encourage everybody, just even if you want to get a basis of what works in the gym industry, Mad Lab 101, the fundamentals of gym, and you can either get a hold of us on Facebook, Mad Lab Group is our official name. You can get us, uh, you know, obviously, um, madlabgroup.com or patty at madlabgroup.com, and uh, we'll get you a good education right off the bat of what works and what doesn't. And uh, I'm not saying we got everything figured out, especially when it comes to the branding and the marketing, but the, we've got some pretty smart people that work in us for a year and a half. And we've got about, we've got about a dozen gyms that are killing it like mine. So I know it's, I know that it moves. I know it can move forward. I know where it ends up in a good space. Getting hundreds of gyms there has been uh, my mission. And we're, like I said, uh, we're fifth generation of software in, we just released our new one, December 5th. And uh, it's working well. That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's killer. It's, you know, it's much needed. I mean, that was the one thing I was most amazed when I first, you know, opened my gym is that there was, you know, uh, here's what you do for your training, whatever, but not a single person was ever recommending any best business practices or, you know, I mean, even to the point of like, how do you manage your people? I mean, we had a spreadsheet. I mean, uh, and I would like go through the spreadsheet every day and be like, oh, this dude owes us money. And I'm like, dude, this is awful. Like you would think that there would be, you know, for every Olympic weightlifting seminar or CrossFit football, whatever, there would be something about like, you know, how to manage your clients how to, you know, best, uh, you know, best, uh, technologies to help you, you know, run a more efficient business and, or even how to set up a gym. I mean, there, there was so much information that I think was just kind of, uh, ancillary. Knew, or, John. The thing yeah. was that nobody knew, like, well, but know, I mean, this thing evolved for me over 14 years, but you know, there was no message out there because well, they couldn't because it was illegal. Cause if you're, that'd be a franchise first of all. <laughs> yeah. I've, then, I've always been amazed that they've been able to skirt that. I, I mean, mean yeah. to CrossFit's credit we, for 2004 to seven, we were actively trying to find a better business model. And I was right there in 2007, eight, he put me on stage and I announced it. And then I had no infrastructure to support it. And then I had to go underground. I had to go underground to, uh, to make my place into a school two years and three months and a pretty good scotch habit later. Like I got the, you know, an accreditation for a gym is fucking hard to do. 
Yeah, it yeah. cost me a hundred thousand dollars in the two years and three months, and uh, it proved that what we were doing worked, and it, it gave us the confidence to take this out into the world. But you know, in their defense, John, and we know who we're talking about. Like, who knew where this whole thing was going to go? How it was all handled? You know, we like to think we'd have we would have handled some things differently. And I, I, I like to think that I would have handled things differently, but who the fuck knows, you know? Yeah, so man. What's done is done. And, uh, you know, if you're still running a group class, group on ramp and challenges and all that stuff, I just, just doesn't end up in a good place. You know what I mean? Your life doesn't have a good place. Your client's life, your coach's life. It's just, just a fucking shitty existence. And if we can, <laughs> he's you know, right. You, no, I don't do my thing. I'm just telling you just, you know, I would get out of the I would get out of the fitness industry if I ran it that way. I just I tried it for a while, and I see I see the broken dreams and promises. And well, you know, the one thing a better that, way to do it. Well, the yeah. one thing that struck me is uh, you know the uh, uh, in like 2000, 2005, 2006, 2007, everybody I knew was in the mortgage industry. Like everybody had a fucking mortgage shop, and I was doing mortgages. Everybody was crushing it. Then all of a sudden, the whole mortgage thing fucking crumbled. And uh, dude, how many people transitioned out of that into the CrossFit deal that went to a weekend seminar that could take, hey, I got a little available income. I'm gonna get into this, and this is the next deal. And you can kind of look and see that, like I think that market fueled one, and then all of a sudden, Facebook kind of really the rise of Facebook is you know kind of paralleled CrossFit a little bit. And as it came up, all of a sudden that exploded. And I think there was just a lot of very like fortuitous things happened that caused the rise of this. And I, like you said, man, I don't think anybody was more surprised than the guys at the top of, uh, top of CrossFit yeah. that this exploded to where it is. I mean, it's uh, a crazy I, journey, man. I'll tell you that <laughs> it was yeah. the thing to witness from it, you know, unbelievable. I had a gym with a few clients to uh, what it the, blew into, you know, it was, um, I'm glad that I witnessed it. It was, it was a lot of pain along the way. I can tell you that. And there still is pain because every time I, we lose a gym or we, you know, and they, they can't make it, uh, I feel personally responsible and it tears me apart. You know, it's like every day I get, you know, some bad piece of bad news, you know, because they're in, they're in that brand now and they're in the, you know, that, that market of just annihilation and they're trying to do it right. But we've had a lot of success and we've had some really great people rise up out of there and do it right. And, uh, I'm confident that it, there's a whole lot more that could do it. Right. What yeah. do you think the next big, uh, the next big thing is? I mean, um, the one thing which I'll appreciate about CrossFit is it did more to get barbells in people's hands than anybody else is on, you know, on the planet's ever done. Uh, and I really don't ever see people like, even if their gym folds, what do they do? They pack up their gear, they, they, Probably, you know, they pull their car out and they fill their garage with it and they still train. I mean, so I don't yeah. see people, you know, giving up barbells. I don't see people getting away from this training. I think no. that, uh, you know, what they need is they just need better direction and, you know, stuff like we do in terms of just providing, you know, an experience in programming and, you know, better methodology, I think is, uh, is, is pretty good in that a huge amount of people that we're involved with literally did that. They got out of the micro gym or they, you know, decided they didn't want to train there anymore. They filled their garage full of, full of gear because they wanted to train at home or they wanted to influence their kids. And they end up coming to us for, you know, because they want to be able to influence the next generation. You know, and I know, I remember for years, Rob uh, and I would always talk about this idea of like, you know, what's going to be next? What's, you know, what's on the horizon and almost like not necessarily an alternate brand, but like, you know, as this thing starts to pivot and uh, you know, my thought was, uh, you know, I don't see like a revolution in terms of like, you know, people are all of a sudden now going to fucking do Zumba. Like, I think people are in on this, but I just think they're getting smarter because 
they realized that just chasing this idea of like max intensity all of the time, I mean, there's a very small amount of people that can do it. And if you are fucking over the age of 28 years old and work a job, it becomes even more difficult. But if you're 24 to 26 years old and don't work and just train at a gym, you can fucking go hard every single day, but it just becomes unsustainable. So I think what we've always kind of looked for is like, what's the sustainability model? And more importantly, uh, you know, how do you keep somebody training for not just, you know, a month or two or even two or three years, but like you said, man, 10, 15 years and, and put them on a program or, or just a track that allows them to, uh, forever evolve and feel like even at like age 40, I can still continue to, you know, make gains and, and be a better version of myself. So that's always just been the, uh, the biggest question. Well, buddy, we're on exactly the same page. I'm so fucking stoked Rob hooked this up. He, Rob put the bug in my ear and I said, yeah, I know John, I've met him a few times. He's cool. I don't know a ton about the stuff, but I know you fundamentally changed the whole structure of all these gyms with the, in my day, it was just like you warmed up and which is probably just go for a run. And then you did a, you did a workout. Right. (laughs) But we barely infected it. I mean, you know, by adding a strength component and putting a paradise strength condition or strength program into gyms, I mean, that viral infection was, was good. And, uh, you know, it started kind of putting it front and center today. I was like, I'm going on, you know, how every gym's got like, warm up skill, technical stuff. And now there's more and more mobility, stability, breathing, there's all kinds of stuff going into that first piece and maybe even the second piece, which, but the strength component and being able to properly move weight uh, was John Wilburn singing. She was really, and I was like, yeah, he was, he was the guy who brought that thing in uh, 2000, was it seven? 2008. 2008. You know, I mean, I mean, I remember fundamentally changing our thing and it was so much more fun to coach and, and uh, our, our retention went up and, uh, you know, our injury rate went down just, just by changing that component. Even if you didn't know what you were doing, that component alone well, changes things. You yeah, know? people like to lift weights. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the conditioning part's great and this and that. But at the end of the day, man, like seeing people lift weights and do it well, like the excitement and like, you know, their buy-in. I mean, no, that these guys have seen it when all of a sudden you empower somebody to do something that they could not do before. Uh, that's infectious for not only the clients, but the coaches. And I think that was the thing when I came in. Um, I looked at it, you know, coming from, you know, NFL and college and, uh, you know, uh, traditional strength conditioning programs. Like you conditioned and you did strength work and you did, you know, technique and mobility and, you know, flexibility and, uh, you know, you warm up and you did all these things and it was just very natural to kind of introduce that and uh, you know i'm stoked to have a part of that but no it's been it, it's been a cool ride and it's uh you know like to see it kind of evolve and um i think we're in an interesting point i think there was like kind of a peak and now it's kind of in this kind of down you know almost like a downturn but i think now you're in this kind of a little bit of a war of attrition where the people that are really good and the people that you know pay attention to things like movement and biz best business practices and kind of going this will survive this deal and be able to do it so i think it's uh it's right at the right time yep definitely bro um so i'm looking i'm stoked for it i want to bring you on to I, I, we got sort of podcasts but they're kind of random i've never actually hosted a podcast a host webinar with our clients but it, uh you gotta go to australia wednesday i'd love to bring you on to ours and uh-huh. uh we can, I, there's a lot of synergy here. There's so much synergy here talking about the longevity and real training and, and bringing that into our business model. I just think there's uh, there's, yeah, I know there's, there's fucking great synergy here, bro. So let's, let's figure that out together. That sounds great. Look forward Good to stuff, it. Patty. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. And cool. ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning and conditioning. All right. Good night. Call it a show. Bye-bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. 
Find out more about the Mad Lab School of Fitness at madlab.ca or by following them on Instagram at Mad Lab School of Fitness. Send Patty a message directly with your business inquiries. And ladies, if you are one of our few lady listeners and you happen to be interested in becoming Texas date for Luke Summer's wedding, I recommend that you follow our original screening process, which is email a picture of yourself in your underwear holding a gallon of milk, and if you hear a van idling outside your house one day, don't ask any questions. You are en route to Luke Summer's wedding. Until next time, bye!